This is a special presentation of Radio Plasma, Huracán, Holyoke and Puerto Rico linked by water. This is the broadcasting of a special event presented by the City of Holyoke Climate and Sustainability Program. On March 14, 2019, the Center for Puerto Rican Studies, Hunter College, City University of New York, and El Instituto UConn did a joint presentation on the Puerto Rican population in Holyoke, the connection between Holyoke and Puerto Rico, the effects of the financial crisis and the humanitarian crisis caused by Hurricane Maria on the Puerto Rican migration to the region and the impact on local communities in New England. This is the sound of the full presentation recorded at the Holyoke Health Center in the city of Holyoke, Massachusetts. We want to thank Holyoke Media for providing the audio feed of this broadcasting. Uh, excellent, so thank you for coming so much. I want to extend a warm welcome to um, El Centro and El Instituto. We have Charles Venator, we have Carlos Vargas Ramos. Uh, They're they are going to help us kind of understand what went right and what uh, went well in the city of Holyoke's response to providing assistance to people who are coming from the island in the aftermath of Hurricane Maria. So it's kind of an important project. It's a really unique and different planning project. My name is Andrew Smith. I, um, I'm going to administer the Municipal Vulnerability Preparedness Funds. I'm working for the city. I'm working in concert with Marcos's office. And really what we're just trying to do is, is answer these questions of what happened and what can other places learn from what happened. So I think we have a really good team who are super knowledgeable and I feel very fortunate that you're going to be able to learn from what they know. And it's just the kickoff of several meetings. They're going to give you more information about the planning process as it's going to unfold going forward. Thank you, thank you Andrew. Buenas uh, noches. And thank you for welcoming us, welcoming us uh, to Holyoke. Uh, uh, we are definitely delighted to be here tonight. Uh, we also like to thank Jay and the Holyoke Health Center for hosting us this evening. Uh, we hope to be able to provide you uh, with a lot of information. My colleague Charles Venator Santiago from El Instituto, which is the Institute of Latin American, uh, Latino and Caribbean Studies at Yukon Stores. And I am Carlos Vargas from the Center for Puerto Rican Studies, Hunter College, New York City. Uh, and basically here, as you know, Andrew just mentioned, because we would like to help the city of Holyoke prepare for unexpected events. Uh, and, and certainly the experience with Hurricane Maria presented the city of Holyoke with an unexpected event. Um, we are here because we at the Center for Puerto Rican Studies um, want to know everything we can about the Puerto Rican experience in the United States. And that includes the Puerto Rican experience in Massachusetts, the Puerto Rican experience here in Holyoke, and the Puerto Rican experience as a result of Hurricane Maria. Um, and even though Hurricane Maria affected the island of Puerto Rico in a catastrophic manner, it also had an impact here in Holyoke. Um, we're also here because uh, we want to understand the larger Hispanic population here in Holyoke. And El Instituto is interested in understanding the Hispanic population in New England, in Massachusetts specifically, and also here in Holyoke. So this is the reason why we are here. But specifically, the purpose is to help the city of Holyoke, the government of Holyoke, prepare for unexpected events. 
Um, we want to know how it is that the Puerto Rican community in Holyoke responded to this catastrophic event. We want to know how it is that initially, upon the storm hitting the island on September 20th, 2017, how Puerto Ricans here in Holyoke responded to the crisis in Puerto Rico. We also want to understand how it is that the Puerto Rican population in Holyoke responded once our friends and relatives began to arrive in Holyoke, in Massachusetts, elsewhere in the United States, as a result of the uh, destruction wrought by Hurricane Maria. And what it was that the Puerto Rican community here and the community at large, not just the Puerto Rican community, but the community at large, responded to the crisis that represented the sudden influx of people arriving from the island in search of you know, uh, assistance and need. Uh, and we know, we know quite a bit. We know quite a bit about the Puerto Rican population here in Holyoke, in Massachusetts, in the United States. Uh, because you know, we, we, we study the Puerto Rican population in the United States, but we do not know it all. So we are coming here to Holyoke to learn as much as we can about the Puerto Rican population in Holyoke, about the city of Holyoke itself, about the region. Um, we also know a lot because in partnership, El Instituto and Centro collaborated in conducting a study also in, uh, regarding the aftermath of Hurricane Maria in another, uh, another neighboring community in Hartford, Connecticut. How also, in anticipation to the influx of people leaving the island as a result of the catastrophe, how that would, you know, community-based organizations wanted to anticipate needs. So we conducted a survey of anticipated needs. And we found many things, including, for instance, that many people who uh, we had expected were going to arrive in Hartford had already come and gone by the time we began to ask questions about needs, et cetera. So we know quite a bit, but again, we can learn much more. And specifically, not everything that we learned in Hartford is necessarily applicable to Holyoke. So we want to learn what is unique about Holyoke, and then, based on those experiences, provide lessons learned that can be applied for any future unexpected event in what, whatever capacity that may take. So uh, th that's the reason why, um, why we're here. Uh, over the next few months, we will talk to city residents. Uh, we will hold community forums such as this one. Uh, we will hold focus groups with different segments of the Holyoke community. And we will analyze statistics that may be available to understand this community. And in the end, we will produce a report for the city of Holyoke in which we will share what can be learned and improve when the situation such as what happened here in Holyoke uh, may take place again here or anywhere else. Therefore, this project is about learning about the past to prepare for the future. And for this, we need your help. So we will proceed in stages. Tonight, we will present to you some of what we know about Holyoke and the Puerto Ricans in, and Puerto Ricans in Holyoke, uh, and what we learned about what happened uh, to Puerto Ricans in Hartford as a result of Maria. We will, we're going to present quite a bit of information, but we will also tell you where to turn to 
uh, in order to get more assistance and more information in regards to uh, Holyoke and the Puerto Rican population in Holyoke. Um, we want to know in the next few weeks, um, as we hold community forums, uh, we want to know about your experience here in Holyoke. Um, if you arrived from Puerto Rico as a result of the hurricane, if you opened the doors, your home, to people displaced by the hurricane here in Holyoke, what it is that you did in response to the hurricane in Puerto Rico, what, how it is that you dealt with the fact that people were coming to your home, to your community. We want to know all of these things because they're going to be instrumental in, a, in allow, allowing us to understand how any community can prepare for events such as this one. Okay? Um, after the, uh, uh, the next community meetings, uh, we will have other forums over the next few months. Um, as we conduct other type of interviews uh, uh, in the community. So again, we will hold focus groups with different segments of the Holyoke uh, population, uh, mostly the Puerto Rican population, but not ex exclusively Puerto Ricans. Uh, but considering that the majority of the population in, Puerto in Holyoke are Hispanics, and of those, most are mostly Puerto Rican, we want to focus on this segment of the population. So this is the plan that we have for the next few months uh, this is our scope of work. Okay? Uh, but for tonight, I am going to be presenting you, uh, along with my colleague Charles Venator Santiago, uh, with some basic information about the population here um, in Holyoke. And possibly the most important question to begin with is, uh, what is the connection between Holyoke and Puerto Rico? We're calling it Huracán, which as many of you know, uh, um, is in, in, in Arawak uh, mythology, in Arawak uh, um, um, faith, it is the god that wrought havoc throughout the community. You know, it, it, Huracan, as opposed to Yukiyu, uh, who is the uh, representation of benevolence, Huracan was actually the representation of evil because of the destruction that it had. That's where the way hurricane comes from. Um, so we call it Holyoke and Puerto Rico linked by water because of the fact that you know, the storm that carries wind and water actually brought people from Puerto Rico to Holyoke. But why bringing people, you know, why people from Puerto Rico arrived in Holyoke is a longer story, it's a larger story, but it's a contextual story that is going to help explain this connection. So why are there Puerto Ricans in Holyoke? Uh, obviously, uh, fully one-third uh, of the population, the Puerto Rican population here in Holyoke, was born in Puerto Rico. So that is one connection. But in addition to that, the, the remainder is people that hark back to Puerto Rico through the generations, right? Um, the most important, perhaps the most proximate reason why they are Puerto Ricans in Holyoke or Massachusetts or, or the United uh, States is a political reason. Puerto Rico is a possession of the United States, and it has been a possession of the United States since 1898. There are also legal and juridical reasons why there is a connection between Puerto Rico and the United States. Puerto Ricans are U.S. citizens since 1917. 
And before that, there were U.S. nationals between 1904 and 1917, which meant that Puerto Ricans were able to travel back and forth between Puerto Rico without any immigration impediment. In addition to that, you have the fact that precisely because of that ability to uh, travel unimpeded between Puerto Rico and the United States, you have Puerto Ricans coming to the United States. But why, if that started in 1904 or 1917, most of the migration to the United States did not begin in 1917 or 1904. You know, there were Puerto Ricans here earlier than that. But the bulk of the migration to the United States happened after World War II. Why? It happened after World War II because there were labor needs in the United States. Those labor needs arose of the fact that, just like in this day and age, the government shut the doors to immigration. And in order to provide low-wage wa uh, low labor for farms and industry, they began to request farmhands in Puerto Rico, in the U.S. South, other places in the Caribbean. And that brought many Puerto Ricans, among others, to the farm fields of the United States. It also brought labor uh, to factories in the United States as a result of that need. Also, at the same time, while there was that need for labor in the United States, there was a change in the Puerto Rican economy. Puerto Rico has been transformed from an agricultural society to an industrial society. However, the industries that were created in Puerto Rico did not have enough capacity to absorb everybody who was unemployed that was working any longer in the farms in Puerto Rico. Those folks were encouraged to migrate by the government of Puerto Rico and also the government of the United States. That is what brought Puerto Ricans to the United States. But why New England? Why Massachusetts? Why Holyoke? Well, we know that many Puerto Ricans who arrived in New England, in this case Connecticut, they came in to work in the tobacco fields. And from the tobacco fields, they oftentimes moved to the cities, Hartford, Bridgeport, etc. Right? And from there, they began to then move into other urban centers in the New England region, in Springfield, in Holyoke. And this took place later on as they were also living places like, such as New York City because they may have found some employment opportunities better than they may have done in New York City, also because the cost of housing was cheaper up here than it might have been in New York City. And you know, they may have found relatively safer conditions up here than in New York City. Puerto Rican settlement, and I wonder how clear this table is, we have the growth of the Puerto Rican and Hispanic population in Massachusetts on the on your left, and the growth in Hamden County on your right. And it basically shows that the bulk of the population began to increase between 1960 and 1970. Between 1960 and 1970 in, in, in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, Massachusetts, the population grew four times over between 1960 and 1970. And then, um, between 1970 and 1980, it grew twice over. So proportionally, that is when you saw the most growth in the Puerto Rican population in Massachusetts. Similarly, in Hamden County, uh, you also saw a tremendous growth at about the same time, between, from 24,000 to more than 76,000 between 1970 and 1980 uh, for the state of Massachusetts, uh, and similarly also for 
uh, Hamden County, where between 1980 and 1990, the Puerto Rican population grew by 20,000 people. Right? So we see tremendous growth between 1960 and 1970, between 1970 and 1980, and then again between 1980 and 1990. Proportionally, however, it was that period between the 60s and the 70s when you saw, when you, when you saw the most growth. And similarly, uh, in Holyoke. In Holyoke, however, the Census Bureau doesn't start collecting information on Puerto Ricans until 1970. And we also see then that there is a tremendous growth uh, between 1970 and 1980 when the Puerto Rican population grew three times over, and then again between 1980 and 1990 uh, when it doubled up in population. And what is interesting is that uh, the Puerto Rican population has continued to grow ever since. It may have slowed down, its growth may have slowed down since the 1960s and 1970s and 1980s, but it continues to grow. And what is done is it has contributed to reverse the population loss that Holyoke has suffered since 1920. The population peak in Holyoke was 60,000 people in 1920. We're still not there. We're only 40,000. But, but the Hispanic community, the Puerto Rican community, has contributed to that population growth. Uh, so it's reversing a, a trend that had existed. It has tanged the hemorrhage of people uh, that has existed here uh, in many, many, many decades. So you know, here we see again how uh, between 1960 and 1970, uh, in the Massachusetts, the population grew four fourfold, uh, yeah, three times between 1970 and 1980, twice over between 1980 and 1990, etc. So right now, in 2017, we have 313,000 Puerto Ricans in the state of Massachusetts. We have 95,000 Puerto Ricans in Hamden County. We have 18,000 Puerto Ricans in the city of Holyoke. Well, a Hispanic includes people of Latin American original descent other than Puerto Rican. It includes Puerto Rican, it includes Puerto Ricans, and others. So it includes Cubans, it includes Mexicans, it, it includes uh, uh, Dominicans, Colombians, etc. Right? But what we see here is that, for instance, the vast majority of Hispanics in Hamden County or Holyoke are Puerto Rican. You're welcome. That's what I'm here for. Um, so let me, um, let me move over and give you a profile of the Puerto Rican population uh, in Holyoke relative to the population of Holyoke, right? So we know that nearly 48% of the population of Holyoke in 1917, at this point I'm also using data from 2015, were Puerto Rican. Half are Hispanics, but you know, and we know that 90% of those Hispanics are Puerto Ricans, so 48% of Puerto Ricans in, 48% of the population in Holyoke is Puerto Rican. What is, however, the difference between that nearly half of the population of Holyoke with the rest of the population of Holyoke, or with the population of Holyoke as a whole? Well, first of all, the population, the Puerto Rican population in, in Holyoke is much younger than the population as a whole, by nearly nine years, right? So the median, the median age, so half the population is uh, older than 26 years of age, the other half is younger than 26 years of age. The median age for the city of Holyoke is 35 years. 
So much younger. Puerto Ricans are much younger than the entire population. Because Puerto Ricans tend to be younger, they're also overrepresented in the younger age groups, which means that they are more likely to be of school age. And you see that in this data on school enrollment, which shows that you know, Puerto Ricans are slightly overrepresented in kindergarten, in elementary school, and in high school. However, Puerto Ricans are underrepresented among those who are going to college. So whereas the population three years of age and older, 12% of Puerto Ricans are going to college. In comparison, other members of the Holyoke community, 21% are going to college. But that is a stark difference. We also see that in terms of educational attainment, after you know the population that is 20 adults, counting just adults, 20 people 25 years of age and older, we find that Puerto Ricans are underrepresented relative to other people in Hollywood. They're underrepresented in the higher education levels. So whereas 4.5% of Puerto Ricans had earned an associate's degree, 7% of the people in Hollywood had an, an associate's degree. 5.5% of Puerto Ricans in Hollywood had a bachelor's degree compared to 15, nearly 15% of the city of Holyoke in general. Less than 2% of Puerto Ricans had a professional or graduate degree in Holyoke compared to nearly 9% of the rest of the population. In addition to that, 22% of Puerto Ricans in Holyoke had not completed high school compared to uh, the rest of the population in Holyoke, which was about uh, 10%. So you know that this is a significant disparity. As a result of these disparities in, in what is called human capital, right? Because education is capital. Right? As a result of this um, uh, uh, lower human capital statistics, we find that Puerto Ricans are not doing as well in the labor market. They're not faring as well in the labor market. Number one, they're not represented in the labor force at the same proportion than the rest of the population, that the population of um, Holyoke as a whole. So only 55% of Puerto Ricans are in the labor force. That, mean, that means that they're either working or looking for work. We also see that even those who are working, there is a larger proportion of Puerto Ricans who are, well, they're in the labor force, they are unemployed. So in 2015, which is the latest year for which data were available at this level of detail, 21% of Puerto Ricans were unemployed in the city of Hollyhoke, compared to 13% for the city as a whole. That's a stark difference as well. That also means that they are less able to translate that human capital they have into actual monetary capital, into income, right? So we see that the medium household income for Puerto Ricans in 2015 was $21,000 a year, compared to 36 36,000 for the population as a whole. Again, that is a big difference, right? nearly a third less. And as a result, the level of poverty among Puerto Ricans in Holyoke is much greater than that of the city of Holyoke as a whole. Nearly 44% of all people of Puerto Rican origin or descent live at or below the poverty level compared to 29% of the population as a whole. Um, I'm going to skip, for the, in the interest of time, 
Um, one of the things that uh, this snapshot shows is that the Puerto Rican population in Holyoke is comparatively worse off socioeconomically uh, than the city's overall population. And I think that you know that, right? I, think, I don't think this is news to you, right? That Puerto Ricans in Holyoke are worse off than the city as a whole. What I think is not known to you is that Puerto Ricans in Holyoke, in fact, Puerto Ricans in Massachusetts, tend to be worse off than Puerto Ricans elsewhere in the country. Okay. What this means is that Puerto Ricans in Holyoke, in Massachusetts, have fewer resources to attend to the internal affairs of the community here in Holyoke or here in Massachusetts. And here in Holyoke is darker, right? Yet, you make do and you do attend to the problems and the issues and the needs of the community within those constraints. So how do Puerto Ricans in Holyoke compare to Puerto Ricans in Massachusetts, in the, in the US in general, and even Puerto Rico? Well, what we see is that the labor force participation for uh, Puerto Ricans in Holyoke is smaller, lower, than it is for Puerto Ricans in Massachusetts, Puerto Ricans in the United States, although higher than Puerto Ricans in Puerto Rico. The unemployment rate for Puerto Ricans in Holyoke is greater than for Puerto Ricans in Massachusetts, the United States, and even Puerto Rico. The median household income for Puerto Ricans in Holyoke is lower than those in Massachusetts, the United States as a whole, although greater than that in Puerto Rico. And the percentage of people living below the poverty level is greater in Holyoke than it is in Massachusetts as a whole or the US as a whole, although lower than it is marginally for Puerto Ricans in Puerto Rico. In terms of these human capital as, uh, uh, characteristics, uh, Puerto Ricans in Holyoke tend to be slightly older by a year or so, not even, maybe a few months, than Puerto Ricans in Massachusetts, but younger than Puerto Ricans in the United States as a whole, and certainly those in Puerto Rico. The Puerto Rican population in Puerto Rico is aging, is aging rapidly. In fact, Puerto Ricans, let me make a parenthesis, Puerto Rican is entering in what is called a demographic winter. Now there, have been, there are more deaths than births in Puerto Rico. And that's also contributing to the fact that the Puerto Rican population is shrinking. It's shrinking not just because people are leaving the island, it's shrinking also because it's entering this demographic winter. Um, Puerto Ricans in Holyoke attending college have a lower rate of participation than those in Massachusetts, those in the US in general, and certainly those in Puerto Rico. And also in terms of the adults that are Puerto Rican that uh, have gone to some level of schooling, they are overrepresented among those who are, do not have a high school degree, certainly over those in Massachusetts, uh, Puerto Rico, or the US as a whole, and they also tend to have lower rates of higher educational attainment, whether it is an associate's degree, a bachelor's degree, or a professional degree. Again, I want to reiterate that uh, with this data on Puerto Ricans in Holyoke relative to others in the state of Massachusetts and in the United States is that the Puerto Rican community in Holyoke had relatively fewer individual and collective resources to attend to the needs of other Puerto Ricans who were displaced by such a catastrophic cyclone, yet they did so. 
they did provide assistance uh, to Puerto Ricans who came from Puerto Rico as a result. Uh, and this is likely because those in Holyoke may have had slightly more resources than many of those from the island who were negatively affected by the storm. Moreover, despite the comparatively more humble base of material resources compared to those uh, across the state or the country as a whole, those residing in Holyoke also opened their homes to the kin from Puerto Rico. So we see that in spite of worse off circumstances, Puerto Ricans in Holyoke still banded together to assist those who were in perhaps greater need coming from Puerto Rico. And this then leads us to the discussion on Puerto Rican emigration. And there is no question about the fact that Puerto Ricans have been leaving the island in droves. The island is depopulating. It is depopulating again because it has entered this demographic winter, but it's depopulated also because people are picking up their suitcases and leaving the island. And this is not a new trend. This is a trend that is historic, and it has gotten worse ever since 2006. Um, we at the Center for Puerto Rican Studies have estimated that between uh, August 2017 and August uh, 2019, be, you know, anywhere between 159,000 and upwards of 176,000 had left the island. So in that one year, between the hurricane and the anniversary of the hurricane, over 160,000 people are likely to have left the island. That number is tremendous, by any account. That number is tremendous. Um, and this volume of emigration is actually larger than the volume of emigration that may have taken place during the Great Migration from Puerto Rico after World War II. It certainly is. But we also need to bear in mind that in spite of that southern emigration from the island as a result of, of the storm, there was an emigration that was taking place from the island prior to the storm, which was greater than the rate of emigration during that great migration of the 1940s and 50s into the 1960s. So between 2007 and 2017, just before the storm struck the island, 600,000 Puerto Ricans had left the island. And we see these figures down here. So, uh, and this includes, you know, one year more, 2006. So, uh, between 2007 and 2017, as over 600,000 had left the island, if you include 2006, which is when the economic crisis in Puerto Rico began, 700,000 people. Of those, about 48,000 arrived in Massachusetts. And we estimate, although don't hold me to this number, this number may change because you know, we have a smaller population here in Hamden, so there is greater margin for error. But about, we estimate that about 23,000 uh, Puerto Ricans arrived in Hamden County. We don't have the data for Holyoke because, again, the smaller the jurisdiction, the more error there is in estimating those uh, figures. Okay. One thing is that, um, we had also estimated that about 13,000 Puerto Ricans arrived in, um, in Connecticut as a result of um, Hurricane Maria. 
and I am going to you know, pass the baton on to my colleague, uh, Charles Venator, who's going to tell you a little bit about our findings from that Hartford survey that I think is instructive into, uh, of what we can find here in Holyoke as a result of the storm. Thank you. Uh, so thanks again for being with us. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about what we did in collaboration with Centro. Right after the hurricane uh, began this place in Puerto Rico, the Hartford Foundation asked us to do an emergency survey to figure out what were the needs of Puerto Ricans who were arriving to Connecticut. Part of the problem is that there was no centralized uh, plan at the time, and the emergency had happened in Puerto Rico, not in Connecticut. But uh, the governor declared that Connecticut was going to treat Puerto Ricans who arrived to Connecticut as if they had experienced an emergency in Connecticut. So it opened up a ton of resources, uh, but at that, they needed more information. They, could, uh, they weren't necessarily sure what was going on. So we began collecting information from the state, from FEMA, and through the survey. We interviewed 1,300 uh, households or individuals uh, with the idea of understanding what were the immediate needs of households who were receiving Puerto Ricans and what was the impact of uh, the displacement of Puerto Ricans in Hartford's in the greater Hartford region. One of the things that we found from the beginning is that most Puerto Ricans who were arriving to the area were coming through the corridor. They were coming to New Haven, Hartford, uh, Springfield, Holyoke, and making their way up to uh, Boston. Does that make sense? So, the idea, so one of the things that impacted us uh, was the fact that this region was receiving a bulk of Puerto Ricans, and the question was, did they have the resources? Should I go ahead and, and, so let me tell you, I just want to share a few points from the survey. All, there are copies of the survey for all of you, and I have extra copies if you need some, that summarize all these things. The first thing that we wanted to know was how many Puerto Ricans were still uh, living in Puerto Rico, or were still hosting, uh, I'm sorry, were still living in Hartford, and were hosting Puerto Ricans in Hartford. Now, we start the survey around March. What we found out and what we sort of knew was that a bulk of Puerto Ricans had arrived sometime between November, December, and January, and were already returning by late January, early February, the majority at least. And uh, so the question then became, well, how many Puerto Ricans are going to stay, and what are the reasons why they're staying? Uh, we found that a quarter of the people that we interviewed uh, indicated, or a quarter of the households that we tried to assess indicated that they were still hosting people. Um, we asked everyone, do you still have relatives in Puerto Rico? And as you can see, 92% of, of the folks that were living in Hartford that we interviewed uh, indicated that yes, they had relatives. And they said, we're expecting relatives to come over. Um, if you look at the aggregate numbers, I want to emphasize the combination of very likely and somewhat likely, uh, which suggests that 56% of the people that we interviewed told us that they were expecting somebody from Puerto Rico to come uh, and live with them uh, for either months or for weeks or for years. But again, at this point of the survey, this is happening between March and May of uh, 2018, we are already estimating that a large number of Puerto Ricans are coming to the greater Hartford region to settle because they can't live in Puerto Rico. And this is, again, eight months after the hurricane. Um, this, for us, this was the most striking part of, of the situation, of the survey, which were the top needs that people were experiencing. Housing was the top need, in, not just in Hartford, but in Connecticut in general. There just was not enough housing. 
In large measure, this is a result of a federal policy adopted by the Republican Party at the time, which differed from prior policies. Uh, in Katrina and Sandy, the federal government had agreed to enact something called DHAP, the Disaster Housing Assistance Program, which is federal funding that would enable interagency agreement between HUD and other uh, and state local, uh, housing authorities. The, Trump, uh, the Republican administration at this time decided to put all their money in FEMA and asked FEMA to provide small business administration loans. That meant the states did not have the resources to provide disaster housing assistance program. While we're dealing with these conversations around Puerto Ricans migrating to Connecticut, and I happened to be sitting in the governor's commission at the time, uh, the housing authority was still managing funds from Sandy and relocating people from New Jersey. But those funds were not available for Puerto Ricans. And we tried to push our federal legislators to sort of address this issue. Uh, but from the beginning, housing was the number one problem. There was not enough money or enough housing. There were correlated programs, uh, problems. In Hartford, the, the line for access to public housing was four years long. Uh, and that caused a number of problems for Puerto Ricans who were being displaced and asking for housing when there was a huge line already. Uh, anyway. The second problem that we found was food. Even people who were fully employed did not generate enough income to feed their families. People in Hartford uh, were hungry. Uh, Puerto Ricans who came uh, to the greater Hartford area or region uh, simply uh, did not have enough money to eat or have appropriate meals. Part of this had to deal with the fact that most of the people who was, uh, received Puerto Ricans were living in poverty or well below the medium uh, income of the state. Let me see if I have a, I'll show you another table in a minute. Uh, so in other words, one of the things that I'll show you in a minute was that the bulk of people who absorbed the responsibility for helping Puerto Ricans were living in poverty. Uh, and, but they managed. People living with incomes of less than $30,000, less than $40,000. And again, in Connecticut, the medium income is $96,000 for a family of four. And the average medium uh, Puerto Rican family in Puerto Rico earns around 40, anywhere between 30000 and $45,000. Imagine a, a family of four receiving one or two additional families and trying to make ends meet with an income of $45,000 or less. Uh, the third major issue, and here it depends on, on uh, how we ask the question, but the third major issue was either lack of employment or access to health care. A lot of Puerto Ricans came to Connecticut because they were looking for access to health care, or once they were in Connecticut, they indicated that they needed employment. There just was not enough employment or enough high-paying employment. Salaries are just not uh, high enough to meet the cost of living in, in Connecticut. Um, so this table for me summarizes the bulk of the challenge here. If you, could, if you look at uh, the categories, the extremely low income category, we're talking about families who are earning around $30,000 a year. They received the bulk of the migrant or displaced Puerto Ricans who came to Hartford. And again, their top needs were housing, uh, food, and then depending, uh, in some cases there was winter clothes or employment or healthcare. Uh, the point is that what we saw here was, again, the bulk of Puerto Ricans who received or provided support for displaced Puerto Ricans were living either, had extremely low incomes or very low incomes or low incomes. Uh, and that was, that's, that's a big issue for us because they were assuming the responsibility uh, that the state was unwilling to sort of, uh, there was some responsibility for Puerto Ricans when the state was not necessarily willing to provide 
the resources necessary to address the, the needs of Puerto Ricans who were displaced. Uh, oops. Uh, in some, and we'll return to this later, the key finding that I want to emphasize to, to you, and again, you can f see the full tables in the survey, was that when we looked at the indicated needs of Puerto Ricans, these were the same needs that Puerto Ricans in Hartford had been making 20, 30 years before. There's not enough housing, we don't make enough money to eat, we need access to healthcare, and there's not enough employment. These were problems that were exacerbated by the displacement of Puerto Ricans, the migration of Puerto Ricans, but were not new to the Hartford region. And we suspect that's not a, an uncommon uh, issue in the region uh, beyond uh, Connecticut. Uh, but we'll know by the end of the study. Thank you, Charles. Um, we don't want to overwhelm you with many more statistics, uh, but I think it is important to uh, try to figure out uh, what it is that we can anticipate in terms of migration, future migration from Puerto Rico. And this is given not just by the storm, but by the economic conditions in Puerto Rico. This chart traces since 1980, the level of economic growth and the level of economic decline in Puerto Rico since that time. And if you see the real big dip here at the, at the far right corner, at the far right end of the chart, that is the effect of the hurricane. Puerto Rico, in that last quarter of 2017, lost seven years of economic growth. But that is on top of the nearly 23 years of economic growth that it had already lost since the height of economic growth in uh, 19, 2005. So Puerto Rico has been losing ground economically for the past many years. That is going to drive migration from the island. Will they come here? It is likely. We have seen, and you know, I just showed you, how nearly 50,000 Puerto Ricans had been coming to Massachusetts prior to the storm. We need to find out how many have actually come since the storm. We're not going to know that until the end of this year. Uh, but many are coming. Many are coming. Where are they going to settle? Well, we know that they're going to settle here in this area, because this is an area in, um, in Massachusetts where Puerto Ricans have been settling in for a while now. And this map shows where the Puerto Rican concentration was, uh, where the Puerto Rican population was concentrated in 2000. And we definitely see that they were concentrated here in Holyoke, and we, they were also concentrated in Springfield. Fast forward 17 years to 2017, and what do we see with the Puerto Rican population? It has grown here in Holyoke. The Puerto Rican population grew in Holyoke. But now the Puerto Rican population is also spreading throughout the region. It's spreading throughout the county. So we know that as more Puerto Ricans come into Holyoke, we also see that there are going to be Puerto Ricans moving around the region as well. And this map, just to conclude, shows relative to 2000 and 2017, the green dots represent um, 
non-for-profit organizations that are registered as non-for-profit organizations serving the, 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 the population in Hamden County. And we see that you know, they're oftentimes concentrated in Springfield as well as Holyoke. So with this, and this was in 2000, and this is in 2017. So with this, we're going to stop this formal part of the, the presentation. We welcome your questions. We welcome your comments. This is just the launch, perhaps, of the study. This is what we know so far based on the statistics that we have here at hand, the results of the Hartford survey. We are beginning to conduct this study here in, Har in Holyoke, and we want to get whatever comments, whatever insights you can provide us as we move forward with this study. Thank you. If you have any questions, please let me know. I'll pass the microphone. We'll entertain them. Or if there is anything that you need for clarification, we'll be happy to, to clarify. Steps. What are your next steps? Well, yeah, uh, as I mentioned in the beginning, the next steps is going to be we're going to hold another community forum. In this community forum, we're going to invite the community at large. Anybody who may want to come in, we're going to invite them, uh, and then we're going to hear from you. Tell us what has been your experience in Holyoke in the aftermath of Hurricane Maria, whatever that may be. We want to collect information unfiltered. You know, to see how it is that we then need to tailor questions specific to get to specific answers that we may need. That is one side. So a community meeting. Then after that, we're going to have focus groups. So we're going to go to different segments of the population in Holyoke, people who may have been displaced by the hurricane itself, people who opened their doors to people who were displaced by the hurricane, organizations as, such as many of you are here that provided services to people who were displaced or people who were assisting those uh, displaced. Uh, so we're going to have those focus groups as well. And we are going to have also a small survey with these different segments of the population uh, to see what their needs were, what their needs are, how it is that they may do uh, under the circumstances. Uh, and we're also going to be analyzing data that may exist, may have been collected by governmental entities, whether at the municipal level, the county level, the state level, and the federal level, if that is available. So. In other words, you're just collecting data. You're just collecting At this moment. Yeah. And the end result is just the statistics itself and not, uh, you know, a solution to whatever problems. Well, actually, we, are, we want to see how it is that the city of Holyoke, both as an entity, the government of Holyoke, but the city of Holyoke as a community responded to this issue. So, so based on the responses that were that was given or the diff, that were given to the situation where you have an influx of people. Well, first of all, it's not just the influx of people. How does the community here in Holyoke responded to the hurricane in Puerto Rico? Because I know that you all organized to help, send to, uh, to, help, uh, to send help to Puerto Rico. But then there was also the other reality that people from Puerto Rico came to Holyoke and you all organized to provide resources to these people who were displaced. So we want to know what worked and what didn't. So by gathering this information, we will be able to share that uh, uh, with the city of Holyoke, the government, but also other municipalities within Massachusetts to see what works and what doesn't and what it is that they need to prepare for for the future. 
Correct. We want to learn from the past to prepare for the future. Thank you. And uh, my name is Barry Feingold. I'm the president of the, Holyoke, the Greater Holyoke Chamber of Commerce. So um, I think, and I think Gladys was our, one of our city councilors. Gladys uh, just mentioned it too. As far as next steps, I think, as far as the chamber is concerned, I think we'd like to have some kind of a, um, uh, you know, an economic factor to this as well. So maybe there's something we can do working together with you guys as far as now that you have this, you've seen how it's grown the population. I think one of the big questions is, what are they all doing now? What are all the Puerto Ricans doing now in Holyoke to make a living? Have they started businesses on their own? Are they employed? You know, what, what is the unemployment rate now as of 2018, 19? You know, where are they working? I think that's something that we're all very interested in knowing as well. And, and how specifically for my, my side, how our Chamber of Commerce, how we can help these businesses grow and how we can find employment for them and hopefully grow those businesses. So definitely we should talk, see how we can work together. Absolutely, I mean, we, we're definitely going to be able to provide, I, again, I didn't want to overwhelm you all with information such as this, but we have data on occupations. Uh, we, so, so we, I mean, it may not be data for 2018, but it is data for perhaps 2017 and 2016. So it provides more or less a trend that we, that we can use to plan for the future. So that data does exist, is readily available from the Census Bureau website, but we can help you all in, 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 in getting that data for the population. Any other question or any other comment? Can I interject from the municipal level? Um, obviously, it's going it's to inform the planning that we, we do here in the city. Like, understanding the long-term demographic trends, how it's going to shape the way the city grows, that's going to shape the thought process for how we implement different programs. So. So even, even though it's like there's a pure research component of identifying stuff, there's going to be sort of actionable information that comes from it. And I think one of the most important things that we're going to learn uh, and that we're hearing just from like a broader climate change thing is that what, what I'm seeing and what they're probably going to be telling us is that the people, people who have the least did the most, right? So like there's a huge like policy implication there around how to support people. And so what you're going to see is a combination of action steps around how to plan for and prepare for these unexpected but increasingly likely and most probably going to happen again scenarios of like climate driven migration. So, so there's a lot of different things to unpack, but I think that the data that they give you will inform some of the policy programs that people want to see. Um, and, I th and, you know, and that might help or might not help, but I can, I can speak to that as a city. It's a thing that we're taking very seriously and something that we think about all the time. And again, I want to emphasize that we're not just going to be giving you statistics. We want to see what connections existed here in Holyoke to respond to the need in Puerto Rico and the need that was created by the influx of people coming from Puerto Rico. So you all organized to one extent or another to assist whether people on the island or Puerto Ricans that came here. We want to see how it is that you all came together as a community to provide this assistance. And you know, as my colleague Charles mentioned, you know, we know that many of the issues that you faced were issues that existed here already. And we also know that perhaps Holyoke, in relative to other communities around the state, may not have the same level of capacity than other communities around the state. 
well, how is it that a community, both in terms of government, but also residents that may not have the same level of capacity, still are able to address these challenges that you face? You know, I think it's not about capacity. I think it's about readiness. I think when it happens, I think the capacity in the city, a lot of the people was under the impression that we were ready. But I think we were not ready because the numbers actually were stunning. They all came in at once. The city wasn't, per se, prepared. But as a community, the community was ready. I think that is uh, something that ready to help the f in some extent. But like you see on the data, is not much resources that our community has to share, that even though they were sharing. And organizations were hand-tied because we didn't have the capacity or the readiness to really support the families who were taking families, even though they don't have anything to share. And I think that is something that it could be different on the findings, but it's also something for everybody to think about. It's like uh, when it happens, we depend on community members that were sharing what they didn't have from the beginning. And I think that is what it makes the work that it happens during the Hurricane Maria hard. Because a lot of organizations were willing to help and waiting for the funds to come. But at the same time, we were doing the service. And I'm, I, for those who don't know who I work with, I'm from the Holyoke Health Center. We were ready to help. And we were fortunate to be a, on the community already and known and working close with Betty and creating like the readiness as best as we could. And we learned from that. But I think the question is like as a community, how the community need to be part of the readiness plan to learn from them what they need. It is many things that we didn't talk about it. Like we needed mattress, we needed uh, if it's no housing, what it is, how it looks. It doesn't look like to park a um, truck full of mattress. Where the mattress are going to be placed? Are the basement dry? Are they safe? Is the family coming with asthma? For example, we saw a lot of families coming with asthma. Are they going to sleep on the floor? How You know how the readiness actually at least impact the health of the family and the community as a whole. I think. Yeah, I mean, and one of the things that one of our working hypotheses that needs to be demonstrated, you know, we need to find the data, is that as a result of this challenge and as a result of the response, to whatever extent the response was given, whether that strengthened the community's response and the community preparedness for future events, whatever that event may be. So we want to know whether the spontaneous uh, uh, arrangements in terms of as gathering help either to send to Puerto Rico or to you know, extend to the community here in Holyoke contributed to strengthen the bonds that exist here in Holyoke. You know, is Holyoke stronger today than it was 18, 20 months ago as a result of this challenge? That is also something that we would like to see. Um, let, me, let me just add, 
the city also asked us to conduct an organizational assessment, uh, or analysis, I should say, of decision makers. So we are also deciding interviews and, certain, and an analysis of how decision makers in the city responded to the crisis to provide, hopefully, some guidelines or some support or some suggestions on how to better think about future responses. Uh, the problem, that, or the challenge, I should say, is that we may have a crisis any minute. I mean, I just, I was, I was telling Andrew earlier, I, I happened to work on a project in Central America and Dominican Republic a couple of years ago, and I was talking to ministers of the environment, and they're telling me in Dominican Republic that within 30 years they might not have drinking water because global seawater is rising, and, every, and for every inch that seawater rises, water permeates about 100 feet, which means that it's going to salinate all the aquifers. Uh, so Dominicans, Cubans, Jamaicans, Caribbean Islanders may within our lifetimes may be migrating because they may not have drinking water. So we're, we're trying to sort of, part of what we're trying is collect as much information that we can to help anticipate some of those problems and to identify some of the issues that uh, any city government could use uh, to respond to a potential crisis. Does that make sense? And that's going to include economic issues and health issues and a whole range of issues. If you look at the survey, we include some of those, but we're going to add additional questions. And we're, we would love to hear from you at some point if you have suggestions of things that we, you think we should be thinking about as we're preparing all these surveys. So, so we, can, we can envision it to have two separate components. One would be the inwardly facing Holyoke-specific component, and one would be the outwardly facing rest of Massachusetts component where what we want to do is create um, essentially like um, an oh my gosh things are happening manual for uh, say a city official in Ludlow or a city official in Lawrence so that when they do receive that influx of people migrating because of a climate driven uh, migration event uh, they can have at least something to go off of in terms of what to anticipate and what to uh, prepare for. Like obviously in Holyoke, we know that there are more students, right? We know that there is an influx of students, but we also are starting to see that they didn't just come in a linear way, that they came and went and maybe went somewhere else. So, so planning for students, planning for additional health care needs, planning for um, additional housing uh, accommodations. So I think in any, one of the things, like I was not as involved as Betty was because, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not like that's not my wheelhouse, but I did go to the first planning meeting, and I came away with it for, with this feeling of like, oh my God, as a society, we're not prepared for these climate migration events. So like the goal is to at least give somebody in another town, and perhaps, and obviously this is going to happen again. Like, like this is not changing. So give people in other towns and give people in Holyoke um, a template that they can work off of to at least have some sort of advanced preparation system in place. And, and I think, and I think what, one of the things that, that Carlos and, and, and Charles can talk about is that it seems like the, the geography of determination that drives people to a city is almost going to drive who comes to a city and a town in response to different climate migration events. And I think one of the things that's so amazing about what, uh, what uh, the relationship between Puerto Rico and Holyoke is the fact that like, um, there's so much data that's been track traceable over the years. So it doesn't have to be Puerto Rico. It could be Central Florida. You know, we were talking about how Central Florida could be equally interchangeable. There are people who are going to have family connections to Central Florida. People are going to have uh, migration patterns as a result of that. So the goal would be to make people... Um, so that's the outward focus. So the goal is to make people in decision-making positions. And, and, and so my, my, my goal is to prevent... Um, fear-mongering, uh, demagoguery, and all sorts of things, and to give people a, a guidebook for how to 
how to do this in a compassionate, humane way. And the good thing is that the state seems to want to support that too. So it's kind of nice that the, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts is planning for future migration events with that framework in mind, because it doesn't have to be that way. And at least it's, it's good to know that we're starting out on that foot instead of the opposite foot. So that's my two cents. So. I think what we want to do, and they can probably address this in more nuanced and detailed way, is at least in more nuanced and detailed ways, is at least let people know. If I'm thinking about things in terms of percentages, know the percent that you can anticipate from the federal and state level, but then know the percent that you're going to have to do on your own as a community. And I think, and, and it might be like kind of wild to at least try to put a number on it, but I think it'll be good for cities and towns and ourselves to know the extent to which we can count on federal and state help. I mean, it sounds like this was a unique instance because it seemed like the federal policy at the time was like, um, like not very compassionate. Um, so, I, but that's just the way I've understood it compared to other disasters. So maybe they can talk about the difference between this disaster on the federal level and other disasters on the federal level under different administrations. So, um, you know, one thing that one thing that we expect to happen is that. We may not have answers for everything. We may have more questions than answers for, right? So, but you know, we still will present that to the city of Holyoke so they can say, wow, look at all the implications of this situation here in Holyoke. How can we prepare? For us, there is also a challenge. And the challenge is, you know, we have focused here on Puerto Ricans, right? Well, maybe the case of Puerto Ricans is idiosyncratic. Maybe the case of Puerto Ricans is unique. Well, but that may be the case, but here in Holyoke is not unique because of the composition of this community, which is largely Puerto Rican, not, not exclusively, but largely Puerto Rican. So that frames, that frames a, 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 such a disaster. So perhaps a learning lesson is, well, how do communities understand the communities they have? What is the composition? What is the makeup of their communities? And what are the possible effects of that community's composition into any future unexpected events, right? Because we could also have, like I said, the, in this context, the Puerto Rican migration is a domestic migration. It may not be an international migration. But again, when Katrina hit New Orleans, People from New Orleans went to Houston and they went to Atlanta, among other places. So that was also a domestic migration of tens of thousands of people as well. And still, we're dealing with the after effects of Katrina in that area of the country. You know, it's all fine and dandy that we get all these things prepared and all the statistics, and I hate being the antagonist, but we have to be objective here. And we can be prepared as much as we want. But if we don't have the funding or the federal government or those programs prepared also and have some type of understanding in writing, not because here comes Trump and says, here, and then throws us 
toilet paper or paper towels. It's not going to work. All, they were, when we had Maria, a lot of people were advocating, well, let's go to the United States or come here. And then when they got here, the reality is they didn't even have a place to stay. My son came up because when that was happening in, in Maria, my son was going through Irma. And when he came up, there was no place for him. And he has a child that's disabled. That's sad. When I took him to the DC, DST or whatever the heck they call it, DTA, it was sad to see the families that have been there for over a week with children and nothing was being made available to them because they made it impossible. So these are the things that have to be addressed. It's not only about statistics. It's nice because it's something that we can bring to the table. But the reality is that we need something just in case there is a catastrophe. And we have to be prepared, plain and simple. Thank you. I think, yeah. Um, I, I'm, I understand the focus on resiliency, but what I'm also finding really striking uh, is that 10-year period prior to that particular uh, event in which there was an attention publicly raised around the issue of migration and, and the lowest income families were absorbing uh, to that degree a constant sort of trickle of migration. And I'm, I think it would be beneficial to the city to know what the predictive model might be of that continuing trend um, so that that can be addressed because there really would need to be some sort of organized um, strategy, I would think, to help address that on a continual basis, which would aid preparation for other things, but to really unearth that, um, that trend and be, and be prepared for it, you know, across the schools and across the healthcare systems and, and supporting families. So that seems like potentially a very easy outcome for you to deliver with the, the mastery of data that you all have. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's no question about the fact that, and this response can be given outside of the context of the response of the hurricane. Um, and it is, the population in Holyoke is increasing. And that's a good thing. It is a good thing insofar as that means that, and th this is prior to the hurricane, it is increasing because that means that there is going to be more aggregate demand for goods and services in the, in the town, in the city, and in the region. Because the more people you have, they need to go shopping for food shopping, they need to go, you know, clothes shopping or what have you, et cetera. That is going to create demand. Now, and even people who are of the lower economic uh, uh, classes, they need to go shopping, right? So that is going to create an economic demand that is going to ultimately help the community at large. They also have needs, there's no question about that, and the city then needs to realize how to serve this population. You know, they, they, they want definitely to increase the population in Holyoke. Well, how can you facilitate economic development in the city of Holyoke as a result? So there's no question about the fact, again, I'll reiterate, we will probably raise more questions than provide answers for. But that is, that, that, that's our job, raise the questions for government, the leadership, not just the governmental leadership, but the social leadership of Holyoke to entertain. And when I first came here, there was 63,000. We're down. We're not up. We went down. And Betty can attest to that. We're now down to 38. We may be moving up a little bit, 
but that's not the case. We're losing residents every day. What we are gaining is Hispanics. That I can, because when I came here, very few people were active in the community or there weren't any Hispanics. And the ones that were coming, were coming through the fields, the tobacco fields, vegetable fields, because that's the only work they can get outside of the island, plain and simple. So no, I don't agree with that. The population has not risen. The population has decreased. <laughs> and every day it's decreasing more. And only our Hispanic population is with raising. As far as having needs met, like go, be able to go grocery shopping, that has always been a viable thing here in Holyoke. There's always been a Spanish store you can go to, or a local store, whether it's in the flats or Holyoke here in the middle. That right across the street from here, there was a supermarket. That's no problem. What we didn't have was the health center. We had little community health centers. So, you know, although I like what you're doing, sometimes the truth gets mixed up. And you only need to talk to the residents to know the truth, plain and simple. Because then what you're putting out there is false. So let me, let me go back to a point that was raised. We have an analysis of FEMA. Katia Severino Centro has created an analysis of FEMA that's available. Uh, and let me pause there one second. One of the fundamental problems that we have right now is that the only source of reliable information or data is the Centro in Puerto Rico and in the United States. Just the, la the Institute for Statistics was basically uh, sabotaged and it's on, a, on its way to be privatized. In my experience working with the survey in Hartford in collaboration with Centro, uh, one of the things that was really useful was that we were able to connect the dots using all the data, all the policy information that we have, and we were able to give information to politicians, city council folks, activists, that was helpful in making or pushing for public policy. And one of the goals that we're doing here in at the behest of the city is to connect as much information as we can that can help you or members of the community to also push for decent public policies. Not necessarily with this administration because my, my sense is that, that there is some support, but maybe with this, there might be some pushback with, with the folks, uh, but even future uh, uh, city council, city governments. So the goal again is to bring information that's gonna be helpful for the city and for the community. Does that make sense? Any other question or comment? No? Going once? Going twice? I mean, we, we are definitely going to, we're going to go for the low-hanging fruit first, and then we're going to climb the tree. So we're definitely going to rely on you to assist us in reaching out to your networks so we can ask, right? So we're definitely going to start with that. And then we are going to branch out by perhaps knocking on doors 
or going to a place where you know a centralized store where people that otherwise may not be attending to a community center, we can say, hey, listen, do you have a few minutes to answer these questions you know, for us? You know, we're gonna be reaching out, we're gonna be intercepting people on the street and say, listen, would you like to help us uh, uh, answering some questions? You know, that is how we're gonna be doing it. Again, it is a multi-strategy, it's a multiple strategy approach to trying to get questions from as many people as possible. Again, gente de a pie, right? as well as people who are already involved in the community, as well as the government sector, because we're also going to be interviewing government officials. Uh, and whomever you tell us to. You know, we are, going, we are here to listen to your recommendations on how to execute this project. You know, this is going to be, this is not just for our benefit. You know, like I said, we are here to help the city of Holyoke, not just the government of the city of Holyoke, but the city of Holyoke, the community of Holyoke, in prepared, at least in anticipating some of the issues that are going to be happening, perhaps, or what you can learn, you know, maybe, maybe the response to this particular challenge is fungible. You can apply it to other circumstances. You don't have to reinvent the wheel, right? You can adapt. That's a hope, at least. Any other question? Thank you. Thank you, thank you for being here tonight. Uh, we hope that we can count on your collaboration as we move forward in this project. Uh, you know, I understand that uh, the, the, the presentation will be made available publicly. YouTube, you understand? Yep. So, you know, Holyoke Media has, you know, uh, had this presentation. We're going to share everything that we um, presented here today uh, uh, so it can be shown as well. And, uh, you know, we'll be continuing to announce uh, our activities in the weeks and months to come. And we hope to have a successful study so that the city of Holyoke, not just the government, can benefit from it. Okay? Muchas gracias. This session was recorded at the Holyoke Medical Center in the city of Holyoke, Massachusetts. We want to thank Holyoke Media for providing the audio feed for this special presentation. I'm Johan Rashi Vega. Thank you for listening. <laughs>